Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. My name is Ben Craven and today we're joined by Dr. Oliver Hartwich. Hi Oliver. Hi Ben. Oliver, your latest newsroom column is all about the Russian-Ukraine conflict and how it's heating up. In a lot of news articles at the moment, it's portrayed as almost an inevitability that the two countries will be fighting uh, or continuing to fight. Uh, but you're saying a full-blown invasion is not necessarily on the cards. Can you explain your thinking there? Well, it may look like an inevitability. Um, Putin has sent 100,000 troops to the border with Ukraine. It is the uh, Northern Hemisphere winter, of course. So the troops are standing there in the cold. They have to keep the diesel engines running. And you wonder, of course, why would anyone do that if the goal of the exercise is not to invade Ukraine in the end? But as I argue in my piece, Putin doesn't have to do that anymore because I think his major strategic goals have already been achieved simply by putting the troops at the border without asking the troops to conquer that neighboring country. And I think there are good reasons to think that Putin doesn't have to go that much further, really, because on the big strategic issues that he faces, he has probably already won. Right, and what are those main issues that he seems to be winning on? Well, you have to ask yourself, what is the motivation of Vladimir Putin, the Russian president? And um, I am with Angela Stent. She is one of the best observers of Russian politics. She's at uh, Georgetown University, and she put it quite nicely when she once said that Putin's goal is not to recreate the Soviet Union, but he wants Russia to be treated as if it were the Soviet Union. So he wants to be at eye level with Washington. He wants to be a great power, not just some European middle power. Mm. And I think if you look at the whole conflict with Ukraine through that lens, it suddenly all makes sense because he, that is Putin, wants to negotiate not just with some Europeans, not with... Olaf Scholz, the new German Chancellor, or even the French President Emmanuel Macron. He wants to be where previous Soviet leaders were and talk directly with Washington. He also wants to resurrect a Russian sphere of influence. He wants to have that quite clearly recognized by Western leaders that there is a Russian sphere of influence, which wasn't so clear, of course, after the end of the Cold War. And if you look at all of this now in the context of the 100,000 troops standing at the border, he has achieved that. So the, th the mere threat of invasion has meant that the Americans are now directly talking to Vladimir Putin. Also, the threat, of course, and the previous aggression against Ukraine and Donbass and Crimea means that NATO couldn't even accept Ukraine as any member. Under the uh, NATO treaty, it is impossible for NATO to accept new members with open border conflicts. So by having this previous aggression against Ukraine, Putin has effectively blocked um, UK's membership of NATO, which NATO once signaled w was possible. That was in 2008. But after the events of 2014, of course, that's no longer possible. But the most important thing, I think, is actually in previous years, Putin had to negotiate with France, Ukraine and Germany directly, the so-called Normandy format. Now he can talk to Joe Biden. And I think in that sense, Putin has achieved quite a lot. Right, you raise a good point there because the invasion of Crimea was several years ago. Um, it seemed pretty clear that Putin and uh, the Russian troops could have easily kept going um, but decided not to. So the annexation of Crimea and the Donbass region 
seem to be less of, of a inv- full-blown invasion and more of the achieving of that key strategic goal that is to keep Ukraine out of NATO. Yes, I think in, in that sense it even worked. The other thing we could say about the conflict, Putin is winning on a few other fronts too. The mere threat of invasion, the provocation at the border, is now making divisions in Europe quite visible. And we have observed this, of course, for a while, that Russia really tries to foster European disunity. And in this kind of conflict, they're getting it. Because we can see in Western Europe that um, Western Europeans are divided on how to even respond to the Ukrainian conflict. So some countries want to support the Ukrainians, um, even with um, deliveries of weapon systems like the UK. Um, the UK just last week actually promised that. And they, they flew over Denmark. over Denmark as yes. opposed to Germany, right? So it shows if there's a few divisions at play already. Well, and that is the other division. I mean, the Germans so far, they have um, given very warm words towards um, Ukraine, Kiev, but at the same time, they've always blocked deliveries of any kind of weapon systems to the Ukrainians. You know, uh, Ukraine, of course, is not a member of NATO, but they are friendly with NATO. And as a friend of NATO, they would be able to go through the NATO pool to order some weapon systems, provided that all NATO members agree to that. Well, Mm. Germany in the past has always blocked that. And this week, actually, sorry, last week, we saw the um, um, visit of the German Foreign Secretary to Kiev. And once again, she was asked by her counterparts in Ukraine, could we please have some weapon systems? And she once again denied that and instead offered them the opening of an of a diplomatic office for the hydrogen economy. Right, very so helpful. Very <laughs> helpful. So um, Germany play, is playing an interesting role there. Germany has been trying to have it both ways. On the one hand, supporting Ukraine. On the other hand, of course, not angering Moscow too much because um, there is the an annoying fact of Germany's dependence on Russian gas. And by the way, that is a strategic issue anyway because there is the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that Russia wants to use, that Germany wants to use. um, And this pipeline, of course, would no longer be tenable in case of a conflict. And so that's another reason I think why Putin would probably not want to go too far because otherwise he could forget about that pipeline. I think it also goes to show that characterization of uh, the Russian Federation as being a, some sort of modern version of the USSR is it doesn't really fit um, because there's so many European countries that, that are now reliant upon uh, Russian energy exports. Well, but even in the time of the USSR, there were Russian energy exports to the West. I mean, um, Germany was always um, a recipient of Russian gas, so that's nothing new, except it's um, perhaps even more important these days with Germany's energy transformation. So as Germany tries to phase out of nuclear power and coal at the same time, they need that gas. And Russia, of course, also needs to sell that gas because they need uh, the revenue from it. So for Germany, there's absolutely no chance to continue with this Nord Stream 2 project should Russia really take Ukraine. Because we know that there is an undertaking between the German government and the US government, actually dating back to the time when Angela Merkel was chancellor, but undertaken with the full support of her deputy then, Olaf Scholz, who is chancellor now, And the agreement between the Germans and the US was that um, Germany would pull out of that project should it come to a military conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And in return, uh, Joe Biden promised the Germans that um, German companies would not be punished. They would not face sanctions for being involved in this project Nord Stream 2, something for which Biden needed quite a bit of political capital because in Washington, both 
the Republicans and Democrats actually pushed for these sanctions against German companies. So the agreement between Washington and Berlin was we continue with the project without sanctions, but should it come to conflict, we'll pull out. And that's why I think um, there is no way back for Olaf Scholz, the German chancellor, on that agreement with Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And Putin obviously knows that. So he knows that um, the moment um, he goes ahead with Ukraine, he can forget about that. He can forget about his um, gas revenues. And of course, he would face other sanctions and um, it would be very unpleasant. And I wonder really, why would Putin acting rationally choose to go for sanctions to for, um, basically torpedo his own gas projects when in fact all the strategic objectives that he thought he might get from an invasion of Ukraine he has already achieved? With all this division amongst uh, both the US, Germany and Europe in general, what should the West's response be to Putin? Well, I think whatever the West's response will be, the main point has to be to make sure that Putin saves face. Right. So you cannot um, humiliate Putin because if you go back to my earlier point, he wants to be treated like the Soviet Union. You have to treat him at eye level. You have to treat him with respect. If that is your goal, you have to also start with some negotiation points on which you can find agreement. There are some issues on which Russia and NATO will simply never find agreement. When it comes to the question whether sovereign countries can determine whether they want to be part of NATO and whether NATO is free to accept such applicants, well, Russia will uh, not accept that within its perceived sphere of influence. So it is almost pointless to negotiate that because there can't be agreement. So you start elsewhere. You start by asking whether there are some issues on which you could find some sort of agreement. You take, for example, greater transparency of military maneuvers. Mm. So you inform the other side what you're going to do. So you're trying to build trust that should be possible. And I would start there and then see where this goes. If you're starting with the big strategic questions, unfortunately, there's absolutely no common ground between the two. So are you saying there's never going to be a conflict? I think in my view, the conflict is unlikely, but I wouldn't rule it out. Um, in a way, the US president seems to be inviting, of course, the Russians to, to really take some bits of Ukraine. I mean, when Joe Biden said in his press conference a few days ago that um, some minor incursions um, might not be so bad, I mean, yeah. Vladimir Putin might take this as an invitation. But I think my point is really that I think it is relatively unlikely if Putin plays this rationally. There's one way which still worries me a bit about Putin. I mean, he's in his late 60s now. He will not be president forever. At this stage in his career, Putin might be tempted to think about his place in history. And when he thinks about that, maybe he would like to be seen as someone who restored some of Russia's glory, who actually led Russia towards some um, position, not just in being treated as a Soviet Union, but as a bigger power and maybe if he takes that historical point of view and he worries about his place in history books he might be tempted to do things which otherwise rationally don't make too much sense so with all of that said i wouldn't completely rule out a military aggression i mean who would mm. um, because putin has been quite aggressive in the past but with all the other facts around it, I would still think it is relatively unlikely. And I hope I am right, but I can absolutely not be sure. Nobody can be. Absolutely. Here's hoping. Dr. Oliver Hartwich, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you.
To stay up to date with our latest research, opinions and events, sign up to our weekly insights newsletter at nzinitiative.org.nz.